Hi listeners, welcome to episode 41 of Define Normal, a podcast where everything and nothing is normal. I'm your host, Shelby Jones, and this week I'm joined by Tashaya Ernest, who is a marketing and communications manager for the 15% Pledge. Prior to the pledge, Tashaya was working at Nordstrom on their buying team in Seattle. In this conversation, we talk about what it means to be Black in fashion, her experience at both her 15% pledge and at Nordstrom, what Black brands you should be shopping, and which major retailers have taken the pledge, along with which major retailers we think could step up their efforts. I hope you step away from this episode with a few new Black brands to shop and a new outlook on how different brands are represented in the stores. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 41 of Define Normal. Today, I am joined by Tashaya, and we are here to talk about being Black in fashion, both working for Nordstrom and now working for the 15% Pledge. She comes from my alma mater of Kent State. That's actually how we were originally connected, but would love for you to give a little intro in your own words. Thank you, Shelby. Super, super excited to talk about, of course, like you said, all things being Black in fashion. It's a lot. As you already said, my name is Tashaya. I come from Kent State. So I think, I guess my career kind of started there. (laughs) Um, I went to school as a fashion merchandising major, really knowing that I wanted to pursue fashion after college. Um, And it was just like, hmm, like, how do I go about that? But ended up going to school and ended up didn't know exactly what I wanted to do in fashion per se, but I knew I was interested in the world. And so within school, I just tried to tackle like, or like tried to like discover as much about myself or about the world as fashion as I could. And that kind of landed on like the communication side of fashion. So with that, of course, out within fashion, of course, fashion is not diverse, but also within fashion, not being diverse, also specific, you know, categories within fashion as in marketing or PR or any of those other categories are even more non not diverse. So it was kind of hard to find my footing. But eventually I found my way with doing a few internships as well as like connecting with a few people, specifically also people of color, <laughs> like just connecting with people of color to see like how their experience was thus far and seeing if I actually wanted to pursue this specific thing after college. I graduated in 2020, so it was kind of like a, I was kind of, I wouldn't say thrown into my first career, but it kind of felt like it. So I ended up at Nordstrom in the buying office, which was something that I didn't necessarily want to do, but it was a good parking spot in that position in the buying office in home while working from home. I realized that it it kind of emphasized everything that I knew about fashion in terms of it being not diverse, like specific to again down the road with the pledges mission, but also not that like black brands weren't like a thing. And it's like, it was 2020. So it was just like, it was only like 1% of black brand or 1% of my category was like black um, brands. So it just kind of felt pointless to like be there. It was like, okay, we're just selling stuff at this point. Like nothing has a purpose. You know, we're just, we're just being like ultimate capitalists and it just felt weird. So it was just like, okay, so how do I find a mission behind this? And that kind of is what led me to finding deep interest in the pledge. And I had been following like Aurora James for a while since college. So it was always like, oh, like she was one of those top, you know, black women in fashion, her um, and a, a few other women that I were like, oh, like long time admired. And so it was kind of like divine that she ended up starting an organization that was directly connected to the passion that I have found within the space. So 
I connected with Shelby, of course. <laughs> I connected with you, Shelby. And yeah, I talked to you about a little bit about your experience at the Pledge, and I was just drawn from there and really trying to figure out how do I land in this space, which felt mission-driven and felt, you know, even if it wasn't the end-all, be-all, it felt like finally I'll get to, even though it had only been a year after college, it was like finally I'll get to do something that's actually ultimately changing the world and changing the space of fashion and the diversity and this, the whole structure of it. That's really cool. I think that realizing early on in your career that you want to do something more mission driven is Mm. admirable because I think a lot of us are just like, okay, I just want to get a job. I think it took me a while um, to get to a point where I cared about that. So I think it was really awesome for you to reach out when I was freelancing at the pledge and say, hey, like, I'm kind of interested in this, like, tell me more about it just because it's not always the sexiest side of fashion, right? Like mm-hmm. it's what matters to us, but it's not always the highest paying mm-hmm. and most interesting part when it comes to like people are going to fashion week. And like you said, just being capitalist, like there's so many routes you can take. It could be like, I'm working with big designers. I'm working with giant retailers to get like these designers that are already well known in the stores mm-hmm. and work on those kind of deals, which I'm sure you saw as a buyer at Nordstrom. So I want to start at Kent and then talk a little bit about Nordstrom, then of course get into the pledge. Mm-hmm. So during your time studying fashion at Kent, when you were going through your degree, was there any talk about like what it was like to be black in fashion? Like were there a lot of black people in the program? Mm. Um, some of some of this I know myself because I went there. But right? <laughs> also I I I graduated in 2015. So I'm curious to see like as far as design and merchandising, were there a good amount of black people in the program? And also like was it talked about like the lack mm-hmm. of diversity in fashion? Or was that something that you spoke about amongst yourselves? Mm-hmm. It's so crazy, like and like you said, we spoke about this a little bit already, but it's like, okay, so you graduated in 2015, I started in 2016, and I, like, coincidentally, my class had been, it had been, quote-unquote, or they had said, like, since, historically, I guess, it was the most Black people in fa- in the fashion school of my year, and that wasn't a lot. It was like, I'm not going to just say, like, 20 people, but it felt like it. Like, it felt like every Black person, of course, you knew, and it's like, that sounds... I don't know, it sounds like, oh, okay, like, you know, you would want to know all your, you know, the people that are like you, but it's like, for our school to be so big, like, our school was like, I'm just throwing out numbers, but like, I feel like somebody said like 1,300, like, students were a part of each class or something. It's like, for, let's say, you know, 5% of those people or like 2% or something to be Black, and then maybe, you know, even just sparsing it out a little bit, um, maybe, you know, 10% of those people being just people of color in general it was like evident that of course like oh shoot the fashion industry is like not diverse and so it was something that we didn't like in classes people were really wouldn't hint on and honestly I don't even remember when I first recognized it was a like issue like in the industry at large but I do remember like one day it had to be like around my sophomore year or junior year but one day I looked up like being black in fashion because again I was very always very curious and always very like driven to a sense where I was like okay what am I going to do after this I can't wait you know I can't wait to be a part of this like exciting world so I had followed like a bunch of the like you said the more the pe- the women with the more exciting careers like Shiona Torini and Elaine Wolteroff and all these people I had followed those people so I knew like oh there's a you know this is a job or the, these people are working in this industry let me just follow along with what they're doing and I remember when Lindsay Peoples Wagner I think in 2017 or 2018, when she posted that, um, the cut article about like being black in fashion, 
I remember printing that article out, highlighting all the names, like being very, you know, manifest manifestation. Like that was my intent when I printed the article out, but more so I, so I, I didn't know I was looking at like an article that was like calling, dang near call out to the industry. I really thought it was just like, oh, we're just, you know, highlight celebrating these black names, but I'm like highlighting the names and reading the, their experience in death. And I'm like, oh shoot, they're like, this is a call out. Like they're saying that this is an issue. So from there, I'm like, oh shoot realizing the, the same names that I'm looking at, the same 20 names or so, well, it was a lot of people in the article, but the same 20 names I was seeing, let's just say, I kept seeing them in everything. So then I realized, you know, there's a token Black person in the industry. And it was like, oh, shoot. So if there's a token anything in any industry, that means, you know, there's lack of representation. So I ended up doing a program called um, BRAG. So that stands for Black Retail Action Group. And within that organization, my junior year, my summer of junior year going into junior year, that organization really like emphasized in a good and bad way, emphasized the issue or the problem that I was walking into with it being like not that diverse in fashion. We didn't talk about it again. Like you said, I can't, we did not talk about it. It kind of was brushed over, but just like everything else in society, it was kind of just like, oh, it was kind of looked at as like, oh, like you're always the minority. Like I knew, you know, we're, we're a minority in the country. So it was kind of like looked at in that way. But yeah, it definitely wasn't like, this is an issue. It was just like, you're a minority, you'll always be a minority. And that's how I kind of felt walking through school all day. <laughs> right. So it was stating the problem right. less of this is what we're going to do. And this is kind of how we're going to make these people feel comfortable. Or this is these are the resources. It's like, this is just the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which, I mean, you know, I loved Kent. I still love Kent. But I can see as I've like removed myself from school, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I guess it's been like six years since I've graduated. It's like, you kind of see how that was a bubble. And I mean, at the end of the day, we're both from the Midwest and we were in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And it's just like not a conversation that is that frankly had. Because I don't think it's because people don't always want to. I think they don't know what to say. I think some people don't want to do it because it's uncomfortable but I think Mm -hmm. some people genuinely are like even if I was entertaining this conversation I have nothing helpful to add right um I also want to touch on what you said about those names in fashion like Elaine and Aurora and just like printing out that article and the manifestation there's so much there because I feel the same way like being not that much older where I one of my first jobs was at Condé Nast when Mm -hmm. I moved to New York and so it was like I say it's fashion adjacent because mm-hmm. I was really working in consumer marketing before for certain brands like Faux, Glamour, Self. And Elaine was our poster child. You would have thought Elaine was like the second the company. President, because right? <laughs> <laughs> literally because when I saw Elaine in those hallways of Condé Nast in the World Trade Center, I was like, oh my God, right. like, I want to be her. You know, it's like rightfully so, but it's like literally, like I've heard that from so many black people in fashion that it was just like, that's why that reading that article was just like, oh wait, there's, why am I seeing the same names? Like that means there's only like 10 of us. Like it has to be that. A hundred percent. And I I feel like you have to come from a certain background. Like I, I think Elaine has been a trailblazer for so many of us and I was just so excited about the work she did. But to your point, if she's the only one, I mean- we, I'd walk around that building and just feel odd in certain settings where I'm like, okay, like I'm not like a white woman who, you know, is wearing this or doing this. Right. And I think to me that made me like disinterested in fashion as a career yeah. um, because I just didn't see 
I didn't see myself in it, and I always felt like an outsider. Like, I wasn't bad at my job, but I just felt like I was watching a TV show. Yeah. But I wasn't, like, in it. Although I was in the show, I didn't feel like I was in it. The cast. Wait, what is it? Like, an extra, almost. Right. I was an extra on the show. Like, I'm like, I don't fit into this. I'm not wearing all the looks. I'm not doing all the things they're doing. And that shouldn't be a requirement Mm -hmm. to play the game. So I, I think that's really interesting. I also want to talk about your experience at Nordstrom. So, like, coming from Kent... And kind of going in with that feel of like, all right, black people are the minority as we are in the world, but I'm also seeing these same black women in the industry. Mm-hmm. So as you get into the industry as an individual, what were your hopes at Nordstrom? Mm-hmm. And how did those manifest as you did your job? My business hopes, I would say, because I knew that I had already seen, like already, again, like that those last two years of college, it was really prevalent. And I knew that this was the problem. So I knew I was walking into like a system per se with like not that many like even again, like more specific, not that many black owned brands, like in retail, et cetera. So I knew that I was walking into that. So my business, um, what I was hoping for in a business sense was to like, be able to like contribute to, um, bringing more black owned brands in and bring in highlighting like, Oh, there, you know, like, I know y'all say that there are no black brands, but in actuality, you just don't look for them where you don't quote unquote have time. And, you know, I'm trying to give you grace and be like, you know, everyone's busy. So I thought I was going to bring that. But on a personal note, I just wanted, my hopes were to be like, oh, I come in here. Well, I guess to back up a little bit. So when I interned there, I did feel like I was supported and like nurtured and valued as like, not just the, of course, the black candidate, I guess, or the black girl that was an intern, but also just as a young, like I just felt valued overall. So I appreciated that. So I just thought that when I came in personally, I would have the same treatment. And it turned out to be the same. Like, I I can't say nothing about, um, I couldn't say anything bad about my experience within that organization being, like, actually comforting on the personal note and meeting my expectations on the personal note. I think the most unfortunate thing was the the business note. Like, it, it would have took, of course, it by it being a corporate structure, that's one thing. This, you know, the ship takes, it will take way longer to turn, but also by me understanding or me assuming, I guess, me making assumptions about how um, my team operated, how other teams I've seen operated, like their value system and et cetera. I just knew that let it had not, or also at that time we hadn't signed the pledge, but let 2020 not had happened, they would still not have a lot of Black-owned brands on their shelves. So that says a lot. So it was just like that, like since day one, like, or since let's say the first week, I was like, yeah, this is never, like, it's never going to like happen to my standards. So I got to get out of here. Like, that's kind of how it felt. That makes sense to me. There are a lot, I was actually going to ask that. There are a lot of companies that started taking action just as a result of what was going on in the world during that time. Mm -hmm. So you would see on websites of major retailers, like shop black or like buy black. Instagram obviously did a very huge campaign where there are stickers. Like every company from tech companies to major retailers are like, what black brands can we buy? Like, <laughs> what black brands can we highlight? And it felt, I was excited for these black brands because like, you know, although they're doing it out of a panic and a response to the world, mm-hmm. it felt good to see black brands championed. But I can see why you're like, okay, guys, like this wasn't something of interest now. Right. We must do mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. And that feels weird. It was super crazy because it's like, I think it was, it was good that I got to see it right before COVID because when I interned there in 20, what is that summer 2019, I guess. And then going back literally in the, the, not in the midst of COVID because that definitely was early on, but like going back in September, 2020 and like seeing the shift within like the 
swiftness of trying to do stuff even though my my specific division wasn't that <laughs> wasn't that quick but like just people wanting to be like oh let's throw up you know I forgot what they did it was a beautiful campaign but it was like you know let's do black voices or something I'm like okay my whole intern project was about shade intensive complexion offerings and y'all didn't do nothing right then and there or like y'all didn't feel the need to like do, you know do something that quick <laughs> like do something as quick right. as this now that you know people are being called out on Instagram so yeah because you're already thinking about it if your intern project in summer 2019 was about complexions and like different shades and that's like oh my god great project but that's not something we're implementing we'll do that next now year. it's an emergency <laughs> to get like <laughs> to get black brands going up. I think uh, what's also important in a space that we've already said isn't pretty diverse um, to have champions. So for me at Condé, like I, although I was surrounded by a lot of white mm-hmm. women, I had a lot of amazing allies at the company. So my director and then her manager were like very great, both women of color, still keep in touch with wow. them. But in your time in fashion, uh, did you have people who championed you even though they weren't black women? And that's the thing. That's why I said the Nordstrom thing. I really do appreciate, of course, it's twofold. Like, for one, there weren't any, like, it probably wasn't that many Black, or there weren't really Black people in this space to champ to have the opportunity, I guess, to champion me. So, of course, that's just a whole nother issue. But I did, like, I walked out of Nordstrom and from my internship got so much internship, or internship, from so much, like, great mentorship and guidance and you know, like good direction, good authentic direction from like women that were two women that were people of color of color and one woman that was a white woman. And again, like from since the day they met me and as an intern, they had been that way. So it was because it was like something that I didn't I it was like I didn't expect it. It was like very it was like a pleasant surprise almost. It was like I didn't expect it because it was like, oh, you know, I expect it to be like kind of like a doggy dog world. But, like, those three women at that company specifically, they, like, still to this day, like, they support me in any way they can. And it was like, oh, wow. And I think this, again, another <laughs> whole another conversation, but I'm going to go ahead and set it, say it. It's interesting because to this day, I haven't had, like, a black woman mentor of that, like, caliber. And, of course, again, that goes back to the issue of, like, there's not many of us up there. But also it shows, like, I don't know, kind of like a whole different aspect of like the internal the internal things that go or the internal disparities that go amongst our race in the fashion industry I think that's so true right so a I'm I'm glad to hear you had good mentorship because when we're in spaces I mean no matter what career you occupy they're usually not predominantly black or even predominantly people of color so I think it's really amazing to hear at Nordstrom, you were given the opportunity to work with people who champion you and were just great mentors because you can take that everywhere. I'm sure you keep in touch with those people and that makes all the difference in your career to have people to lean on and people who are honest with you. So that really makes me happy to hear. But to your point about not having black women mentors, I think it's so interesting and it's, it's like obvious, but it's like, it's kind of in the same way that I didn't have a black teacher until Mm -hmm. college. Like I've never, I never had a black teacher until I got to Kent and the person who was a black professor taught classes about black people. So mm-hmm. it was like a class <laughs> called black images. And that's the only time I had a black professor. So black professor, black teacher, who did, who did you take K through <laughs> side note. Um, I had, o- I had Oconta. Oconta, my favorite person in the world. <laughs> I know. I, I love him. He's so great. And so 
that's the only I had one other black professor my whole time at Kent but like just seeing black representation like in leadership whether it be a professor or a teacher or um, a manager first job I got really lucky to be honest Mm -hmm. my first job at complex uh my vp was a black man wow and he it was just awesome and i tell people i don't think people realize like what that means Mm -hmm. right like just a certain amount of like camaraderie a certain amount of like mentorship but also like calling you out when you're wrong Mm -hmm. like i think that i really appreciated those moments where even if i was getting things wrong it was my first job i felt like respected and i felt like my talent was being honored Mm -hmm. even in moments where it's like yeah you're not getting that quite right but like my dignity was kept intact and like him and I um, are still in touch. So I guess I'll say like I had it earlier in my career, yeah. but then from there, there were I worked with basically no black people. So right. it was like, like what is a rude awakening. Like, what happened? <laughs> You're right, exactly what happened. And then um, I just think those allies make all the difference. But when we look at those leaders of black women who are, you know, head of their industry, whether they be VPs yeah. or their ma- editors at major publications, like everyone wants to work for mm-hmm. them. <laughs> like getting a job <laughs> with them is so coveted because we're all like, oh my God, wait, I'd love to work for her. Like she's hiring. We're all a part. Right. Everybody in the community. <laughs> Everybody that's black in the badge community. Exactly. Um, so now I want to get into the pledge because you've landed at a job where you are working with black women and you are working for a cause that you're actually excited about. So first, for those who aren't familiar with the 15% pledge, can you tell us a little bit about it and what you do there? And then we'll go into um, the mission and kind of what you're doing. So yeah, the 15% pledge, of course, the general spiel would have to be too, that, you know, it started in 2020 post, um, you know, this racial uproar when everyone was having, everyone, we were all protesting. And of course, here come companies like putting up the black square and everything like that and saying how much they support us and how much they'll donate, you know, 50,000 and here and there. It's like, okay, 50,000 ain't nothing. That's like a penny to what you make, especially what you make all black people. So um, Aurora James decided to do like an Instagram call out just saying something like, you know, here's what you can do for us, basically. That Instagram, that specific Instagram post just started a whole, within that night, it would have started a movement almost, but then over the course of a week, it started an organization, which in turn now turned into a whole actual nonprofit organization. At the 50% Pledge, our main mission is just to, you know, decrease the racial wealth gap. So like the racial disparities between specifically white and black folk. And through to to do that, of course, our initial aim is to get 15 percent or call out major retailers and corporations to spend use 15 percent of their spending power to black owned businesses, black or BIPOC owned businesses, actually. So, yeah, like that's what we work towards every day. It's only been a year. It's, it'll be two years in May, this May. But what we work towards every day is really just trying to fight and advocate for more Black-owned representation. So whether that's Black-owned business or Black-owned brands, Black-owned, you know, specific products, Black-owned creators even, Black-owned artists, we just really are fighting for representation on major retailer shelves and making sure they really disperse that income equally. I love that. And so what exactly are you doing at the Pledge? I I mean, I know the answer to that, but (laughs) I want the listeners to hear about your role there. Mm -hmm. So... I am the marketing communications manager at the 15% Pledge right now. Within that role, of course, since it's a small company, within that role, I specifically am like tasked to do a lot of the social media and internal marketing. But of course, you know, it's kind of just like we're trying to get everything done. So of course, here and there, if I have to do anything outside, which hasn't been 
too much of that. But if I have to do anything outside of that specific job description, of course, we're all hands on deck. But yeah, within that role, I'm just specifically targeted to really try to message what we're doing to our audience, help build our audience, help rally and galvanize people. Because of course, this issue of, you know, lack of representation and um, the racial wealth gap and racial injustice, all that stuff is becoming not sexy. (laughs) Like it's not sexy anymore, especially after 2020. So it's, it's a large ask and a large, or it's a huge ask, especially by it being my second job out of college. (laughs) Um, But I was really excited to at least try to take on this role. And yeah, it's been a rise so far. It's exciting. And you're on the front lines of it all. I loved my time working for the pledge, just kind of getting to see the inner workings of those conversations. And to your point about Nordstrom, kind of like what retailers are willing to take seriously, because when you're a spectator, like I am right now, I don't work in fashion. It's like, I just see what people post on their Instagram. So if like a company is like, we're taking the pledge or if a company is hosting their black brands, that's all I see. But what I liked about working with the pledge is kind of getting an inside to see like, who is taking this seriously? Mm -hmm. Who isn't taking this seriously? And then thinking about, you know, the power of the black dollar, like, I don't have to spend my money at places who deem this to not be a priority, but they're sitting on millions of dollars. So that's been really interesting for me to kind of think through. And I mean, I have to credit Aurora. I think she fired us all up a little bit to be like, think about how you spend your money. Like some of these people are blatantly saying, no. I loved kind of having an insight on that. And with that said, like, can you tell us about a few brands that have taken the pledge and kind of what that means? Mm-hmm. So a few brands off the top of my head, of course, is going to be Nordstrom just because we've been, we talked about it a little bit, but Nordstrom and they signed on for like, I think a 10 year contract. And what that means for, for people to sign the pledge, everything is different or they show up in different ways for Nordstrom specifically. They're devoting a lot of their spending power to black owned brands and black owned creators, but specifically, of course, trying to, increase their um black representation on shelves which of course for me was like I've been wanting this to happen and you know like Nordstrom being like truly in my head like one of the best retailers one of the best larger larger retailers or traditional department stores I think they're one of the best standing so and I also think they have the best chance of like pivoting in this new era of like just retail changing in general so I think they're doing they're doing they, to me they're taking their pledge serious they're doing a lot of work that it seems um of course was that's another conversation of like you never really truly know unless you're on their side looking in but because so i'll probably have a whole different something to say if i started working there tomorrow or something and actually seeing the inner workings but i think they're doing a really good job because they're actually also hiring people of color to help do this work so i think that's like a huge part of it like you know a lot of people are just like oh we can put um black owned brands on shelves which I don't have any like specific names of retailers that are doing that, but it's like, it's really easy to put a brand on shelf. Like not really because like onboarding is hard, but it's technically easy to find a brand. Like from the merchant and buyer buyer side of things, it's easy to find a brand. And especially because, you know, a lot of small businesses are brands that are on shelf. So it's like, you can't come to us and say like, oh, well, it's just hard to onboard brands. So it's like, that's just to me, the smallest piece of the pie. But when I see these retailers like Nordstrom or Sephora that are building out like incubators for black entrepreneurs, other capacities and facets of their business, that's where I think you're doing the work. And of course, we can get impatient because I'm like, dang, I just wish you, you know, by tomorrow, your 15 percent of everything is black. But yeah, I'll have to settle and be like, you're doing you're you're making progress. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's a journey, but I'm also excited to see these retailers do this and how it impacts the brands. Like if you're a brand that gets picked up by a Sephora or Nordstrom, that's such a big deal. And that's not only like life-changing money because you have to figure out how to keep up with the demand and all of the all the things that come with a big re- retailer picking mm-hmm. you up, but it's also just life-changing exposure. Like someone being able to go to a Nordstrom or Sephora to buy you means like there's a lot of discovery there. Mm-hmm. And I think that is paramount for these brands who we know to be great, but I've discovered so many black brands through this whole uprising mm-hmm. of like, okay, now people care right. about this. So you'll go to Sephora and it's like, this is, they're curating, like this is black owned and I can go to that and look and see like what products I'd like to try or mm-hmm. buy, which I kind of, I love. I do. And it's also like, it's, it brings up the, the point in conversation too about like, it was this recent article, I think by CNBC um, it was the Alta CEO just talking about like, okay, and not, not enough black owned brand, not enough putting black owned brands on shelves, but we, really what are we going to do after that? And I think that's the hugest conversation and something that it was, it was good to see that go live and me completely understand what they were talking about. Because, you know, again, coming from the small or the, the short under a year experience that I had at Nordstrom in the buying office, it's like, I realized a onboarding is a whole process. Like that's kind of what, if I was, you know, if I had a small candle business right now and I made a decent amount of money, I could have the bandwidth or whatever. Somebody just happened to find me because, like, they they know, they just like the brand. They like the mission. It doesn't even have to be anything quite spectacular. The, you know, home buyer can tap on you and ask you, do you want to be in store? So that's the first touch point. They ask you, you accept, or you, like, you know, you say, oh, I'm interested. But then it's like they're asking for you know, uh, 1200 candles. It's like, okay, wait, first of all, I, and whoever the business owners are, I work a nine to five. Yes, I do. I'm interested in being in stores, but I only have 300 candles, um, on, on hand. And also I don't have enough capital to fund to get the extra 700 or whatever the case may be. So it's like, that's also the disparity where it's like white people, you know, traditionally, let's say generally white people have the luxury of having like more capital like and it's like also you know so it's like that again brings up the point of like black people you have to or black businesses we have to support them way further than that because like getting on shelves that's not as much as like we see that as a success like and like you like as soon as I see a brand on shelves I'm like oh they they coming up you know like I mean I'm super excited about that but like that could also be a detriment to their business as an entrepreneur like you can get on shelves and completely sink because like on your end you can't you can't manage like you you don't you're only, you're only one person team you can't create everything you don't um you know you just can't keep up with the demand because you also are selling on your own like on your own g- digital storefront um so yeah like brands also and uh, like the whole society like we also have to show up for black owned brands after that like how do we support them after we get them on shelves like how do we continue to make this support you know, how do we continue to support them in order for the business to thrive and actually be sustainable versus just being like, oh, you're finally on target shelves and then boom, like, you know? Yeah, 100%. I think that it's a good insight to share that there's such a process going from seeing, like getting tapped by like Nordstrom or Sephora to getting the capital because to your point about funding, like statistically white people have more access to funding and also just like being able to ask like, 
family or like raise VC mm-hmm. funding, like they're more likely to receive it. And it's harder and it can be to your detriment to get like a giant Nordstrom order and be like, wow, right. I really don't know how I'm doing this. Like I don't have the capital to front it. I don't have a warehouse mm-hmm. to store it. My logistics aren't quite figured out yet. And that could be a lot of pressure. It's like, I need money yeah. to do that. So how am I doing that? So yes, our support for black brands have to go even further than they are now. And it also just like transparency. Like, I think that that's not something, what you just broke down is not something that's often talked about. I think we all are just celebrating that they're on the shelves without thinking about what it takes for them to get on the shelf. And I think my time at the pledge honestly opened a little bit of a window, but what you broke down was even more helpful. Another question I have is, how do you feel about brands that kind of take the pledge? So they're definitely not taking the official pledge, but they're doing whatever they can to like promote black brands without fully doing it. So like my example, I'm going to call them out is like a target. So target's doing so much with black brands, but they're not doing 15% pledge level. So like, how does it make you feel when you see people or retailers kind of take the pledge? I feel like it's so interesting. Like, cause like you said, it's the target example. It's like prime example. It's like, we can almost like people target Walmart, et cetera, like all the bigger retailers, we can sit back and be like, oh, well, I get it because like they're a huge corporation. Like Target's so much bigger than Nordstrom or Macy's or whatever. But it's like, at the end of the day, like that looks like when you don't, to me, like if you're not taking the, pl- like if you're sh- steering away from something that is like, has been at the forefront of you, I'm pretty sure someone large has brought it up to them in their meetings. Cause like they got called out so many times. So it's like, I'm pretty sure they're not just like, oh, I've never heard of the pledge. And then, you know, like they had the thing of like, stealing our brand colors and all those things so it's like I know they know of us so to me it's just like a fear of like wow 15% is a lot like it's like they I don't know what they've committed but like say they've committed 10 million or 10 million or something dollars it's probably a small number compared to what they probably did but like say they committed 10 million dollars that's probably still like two percent of like whatever the ending whatever revenue whatever the whatever numbers that we're looking at that's probably two percent of that so it's like to me if you're not committing 15% or whatever fraction or like, you know, dang, you're just again, signing the pledge. It's like, oh, you're just scared. Or like, you're really, you're trying to throw in these big numbers and dangle these carrots to like us to be like, oh, I guess you're doing well. But no, like you you still have so much more to give, like rightfully so to our, back to our community. Um, so yeah, it just sounds to me like, just like crap. And like, it's just like, uh, like I support, like obviously full transparency. I still support Target. I still like Target. Um, because they do do for me, like outside of just like liking to shop at Target, like just the retail experience. But they do have like, like you said, like the in- like interesting experiences and like collaborations that they have been developing with Black creators. But it's still like frustrating because it's like, okay, well, you're still circulating around the pledge, like or like circulating around our specific mission. So like, when are you just gonna finally be like, whatever? Like, I'll sign, I'll, I'll sign the pledge because I'm committing X, Y, and Z more. Right. It feels like a project to me. And I I love the stuff they're doing, like even for Black History Month, like the t-shirt collabs they're doing, um, the Christopher John Rogers collab they did. I bought all kinds of dresses. Like I was in there buying up the collection. And I think that stuff's cool, but Mm -hmm. it feels like a project knowing that like there's a target everywhere. Like, I mean, I, I have not gone a place where their target doesn't exist in the United States. And so it's like, they're making so much money. I think they pledged $2 billion by 2025. That's not even a lot. <laughs> 
but it sounds like a lot if you would have read if you read it quick on Facebook and you just keep scrolling like and you'd be like oh I was in Target yesterday and they got black owned brands like it sounds like a lot but it's like yeah. exactly and I think that's what's most upsetting about it and why I was excited to have this chat with you because I think it needs to be exposed I think a lot of people get down to this subject and they're like well what else do you want us to do like we're hiring we hired mm-hmm. some black people we're working with some black brands and I'm like I don't think it matters until you feel the impact like having black t-shirts during black history month um doing a collaboration with christopher john rogers is awesome but he's also like at this point a world-renowned designer it's good for you too because now people who wouldn't even shop at target i mean we both live in new york city so like our high fashion girls are not checking for it but then now they're like oh there's a christopher john rogers club like i might buy something just to say i did so it's it's like target you just it doesn't look great because it's like we know what you're we know what you're doing and I mean I'm a target girl too but I definitely have been a little disappointed by their actions I really I'm like I don't even know like yeah I'm still lost as to what target's doing in terms of like okay is this are you going to continue doing this or do you have more big things coming in the ecosystem like because like you said to me if you're going to keep doing this this is a project or this is a oh this is the norm right now it's like no we need something outstanding from a target it's like you know how much whatever 15 percent of their whatever could do like target is huge like you said and it will bring it to like you know like another thing about the pledge which is something that i'm passionate about working towards it's like we're technically like our our target audience right now like a lot of people that know us black owned business owners included they're of course in our major cities it's like you know, you go. I go back home to Flint, or you go back home in Ohio. It's like they don't really know what the fifteen percent pledge is. But imagine if Target signed the fifteen percent pledge, like, and promoted it across their stores, and like did actually put in the work. Like that would change the game for like pe- consumers all over the country. So. Exactly, because I've been really happy to see them places like, but to your point about major cities, it's really mm-hmm. niche stuff. So like, I went to CultureCon, which was started by. Amani, who is a publicist for Bravo, and she's just like this huge collective about like creatives who are specifically black. So anyway, I'm at CultureCon and Target has like sponsored CultureCon and there are gift bags with like black owned brands in them and stuff like that. And that's cool. But like I, CultureCon is not a major artist. It's a very niche thing. It's like you are a person who works in the media, fashion, Mm -hmm. you know, tech Probably work in, live in New York, all of those. Right, you live in New York City, you're aware of these types of events. So sometimes it feels like pandering, like we'll be where people are looking. That's a good word for it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We'll be where you're looking. And I'm like, that's great. It feels like a great like brand collaboration. And I was happy to get those products. But to your point about being two girls from the Midwest, like if I didn't work on the 15% pledge, my parents wouldn't know what it is. So I think someone like a Target or even like a Walmart making a commitment to say like, look, we're about to do this is just very paramount. One last question I have for you, an easier one, (laughs) is what are some of your favorite black brands? I really love Peak and Valley. It's a brand that has like a lot of, what do they call them? Like um, adaptogen like blends. I'm really into that nowadays. And I love that brand. They're Seattle based too, actually. Black women owned. And then of course I love gold. I love their coconut, <laughs> coconut, um, what is it? Coconut like creamer. Um, what else do I love? I love Brooklyn tea so that you can buy their teas online, but they also have like a really good, like brick and mortar, like store in 
in Brooklyn, but also I think they just opened one in Atlanta. So I love them. The founders still work there. So they're very like interactive in the space in um, Brooklyn. Of course, I love Hanifa. I was just looking at um, a dress trying to see if I want to spend it and pull the trigger. Um, I love Hanifa. Love um, Yeah, of course, Miel, Miel Organics, but that's one that's like more commonly known too. Let me see. I want one more. Like, I feel like I'm on a roll. What do you think? I love for beauty, Hana Hana Beauty. Oh, love the, um, love the shea butter. Yes, thank you. Same, Mine. like the best shea butter. Love. I'll say that. So that can be right, your last I'll say one. that one. <laughs> yeah, like that, that is my winter um, solve. So if you're, if you have dry skin, Hana Hana Beauty, get the shea butter. It comes in different mm-hmm. scents. Order it right now. It'll save your life. And I think it's the almond one that I, I think it's almond, but that, it smells so good. And it's like, the texture is there. I don't know. Like. I know I have um the eucalyptus I went to the pop-up because there's a pop-up yeah. in Chicago when I was living there this summer so I went and bought mm. some stuff and I have a new face mask from there so yes Hana Hana buy things and all the other buy brands all the you things. mentioned <laughs> <laughs> buy all the things buy black things it's black history right. <laughs> well thank you so much for joining I loved our conversation and I can't wait to share these black brands with thank people thank you Shelby for having me Thank you for listening to another episode of Define Normal. If you like the episode or have any feedback for me, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at Define Normal. See you next week.